0: Welcome to Live Courageously podcast show number ten of 2022, and Happy Mother's Day! And welcome to today's show coming to you from rainy downtown Duluth, Minnesota, where I'm going to be for the next seven weeks, line producing a feature film. I created this podcast show to share the stories of some amazing courageous friends I've honored, that I'm honored to know and have had in my life. And I chose the title of Living Courageously because that's been the conscious theme of my life. For the last two years since the beginning beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and it has been an unconscious theme for most of my life and if you haven't seen the previous nine podcasts with some amazing friends with some really powerful stories of overcoming all odds to live their best life you can watch them on the my uh, live courageously youtube channel and also at uh, duff square film on rumble i recommend you check them out and binge watch them it's better than netflix and uh I must say, and you'll get a great dose of courage. So since I started this podcast show and became friends, and and I keep meeting and becoming friends with some even more amazing, courageous people that I want to have on this show. And just an example, when I arrived here in Duluth uh, a couple of days ago, I attended a welcome dinner with the film commission people here, and I met a police officer who served in Iraq in 2005 and 2009, and then joined the police force in Duluth and worked 20 years undercover arresting drug dealers and human traffickers and serving the community. So just as an example, that's how lucky, ever since I started this show, I keep meeting people like him, and I look forward uh, to going, I've been invited to go on a drive along with him uh, in Duluth, the police vehicles, and um, having him on the show in the future. So stay tuned to keep meeting some great people every week. This show is about faith over fear. I believe fear is just a reaction, but courage is a decision and a choice. So I suggest that you need to consciously choose courage to get through life and deal with what life may throw at you. So I encourage you to adopt the spirit of courage in the face of any and all fears. So let's get to today and introduce you to my guest and a great friend, Dave Albin, who someone who has lived a very courageous life and inspires others to live courageously as well. Dave was born in Hollywood, California in 1954, adopted at the age of five and raised by his aunt and uncle in Long Beach. Dave struggled in school as there was alcoholism in his family. And Dave will still tell you that he had an incredible childhood and is very grateful to his adoptive mother and his adoptive father as they did the best they could. His father was a career military officer and his mother was a homemaker. Dave never saw or met his biological father, but he did on the east side of Long Beach. And there was many kids who grew up in the same street as he did. And he is still uh, good friends with them to this day. And yes, Dave is a surfer boy from California, very different than me. Uh, we didn't even know what a surfer was in, in the Bronx, but uh, he's a surfer boy. And um, today, uh, Dave lives in the Appalachian Mountains of uh, Western North Carolina. And when he was young, Dave struggled with drugs and alcoholism from the age of 10. He came close to death on more than one occasion as a result of drug addiction and alcoholism. And on June 8, 1988, He had had enough and he reached out for help and he joined AA and that decision and that action uh served him well he's been sober ever since since uh, some 33 years now um and shortly after getting sober he read a book called unlimited power a book that I also read when I was younger and he went through an audio program called personal power written and voiced by Tony Robbins something that also influenced me as well Eight years later, in 1995, a good friend who had read the same book, Unlimited Power, invited Dave to go on a live event with Tony. And it was at this event where Dave and 3,000 other people did a firewalk. And a firewalk is where you get to walk on hot coals in excess of a thousand degrees. And it was that firewalk experience that would forever change his life. In fact, it influenced him in such a powerful way that Dave went on to work for Tony Robbins for over 19 years. And in 2003, he took over all Tony Robbins firewalks globally, and he was responsible for the logistics, the setup, and the training for all the staff for the firewalks. In 2014, and this is a lot because he's had an amazing life, Dave received a very inspiring phone call from Google, and they contacted him to put on a firewalk at their corporate headquarters in Mountain Valley for 148 Google executives. He accepted that offer and has done multiple events for them and their employees. And this one where a light bulb went off uh, for Dave and he decided to start his company, the Firewalk Adventures. Uh, firewalk Adventures. So his team has went on to help th- hundreds of thousands of people to date walk across hot coals, including many celebrities, professional athletes, and a host of business owners and entrepreneurs. His largest firewalk on record was done in London in 2005 for over 12,300 people. And his largest glass walk which is something that we'll be talking about as well, was done in Paris, France in 2019 for over 1,500 participants. Since retiring from the Tony Robbins organization in 2014, he's gone on to do speaking gigs and trainings and fireworks and glass walks for NASA, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, uh, Chick-fil-A, RE Max, Heineken and hundreds of others of large and small business. So that's a lot. um, And he will tell you straight up that that what doesn't challenge you does not change you. And I'll say that one more time. He says that what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. And and I'm sure he'll be speaking about that. So if you're ready to transform your life, then Dave Albin is your guy. So I'd like to welcome my good friend and good brother. Dave to our show today welcome Dave. Hi <laughs> John Duffy Thanks bro that was that, that was, was a, a lot, mouthful man. man It was but that's that, that's the stuff that you you know you you've done a lot man so you know uh, I wanted to share all that with the audience and you know Dave one of the first things I always do on the show is two things I do one is I ask people because so far everybody I've had on the show are people I know personally and are friends and and you're one of those. I asked them, where did we first meet, if you remember? And then I asked them, what does Live Courageously mean to you? So my first question is, do you remember the first time me and you met? Yes, I do.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> I do. How could I How could I forget, right? Uh, we got to share the stage at Notre Dame, which was spectacular.
0: Absolutely. And then we also met prior to that at NASA down right. in um, Houston, right? That's where, right.
1: Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh, that's right. We met at NASA first in Houston, and then we went on. And we shared the stage again in, in Notre Dame. Right. Okay. yep. That That's is true. correct. So yep. that was,
0: you know, and it was kind of funny because when we met down at NASA and obviously I got to, to know you and know your background and all the work you had done with Tony Robbins. And I know our paths had to, had to cross because I attended at least 10 Tony Robbins programs and, and I staffed them and I've done, you know, about a dozen firewalks, but we never really actually met at any of those, um, but it was kind of interesting to learn all of that when I met you down in NASA. So, you know, that's the first piece. And we'll get more back into that. The second thing is, what does live courageously mean to you? And you've obviously have. You know,
1: I, I think it's such a it's a huge component, because without that part, you really just can't leave, you know live your best life. You just can't. Um, uh, you know, I think you have to learn to embrace fear. And use it to your advantage. And because for most people, you know, everything they have in their life, whether they have it or don't have it, has been influenced by fear. So, you know, what's the acronym? Face everything and rise or forget everything and run, right? Um, You know, you mentioned AA, and we talk about fear in AA a lot. And and what they told me there was uh, false images appearing real. And And that really hit home for me because that really made a lot of sense to me because I I knew that that was applicable to my life. I had done that for such a long time, Um, uh, you know, and getting back to that firewalk part, right, where I actually went, um, the uh, the, the guy that called me to tell me that Tony was coming to town, um, when I first got sober, what happened was, and I'll come back to that in a minute, when I got sober, I, I had insomnia. And I was up late at night all the time and I was up late one night and I was watching the Tony Robbins infomercial. Right. And, you know, he was real big back in those days. He was all over, you know, he had the number one infomercial in the country. And, uh, and I bought the personal power program. It was 30 days. And it came on little white things called cassette tapes, <laughs> right? <have> well. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so people go, what are those? You know, uh, well, they're they were a form of of, of you know recording, right? So it, it, it was really cool. So anyway, so I when I went through that, I loaned that I loaned the book and I loaned that tape program to my buddy, and that's when you know seven eight years later, ninety five, he called me and said, "Hey, Tony Robbins is coming to town. It's going to be live. You got me into this. Come on, man. You got to <laughs> come with me, right?" And he literally, Johnny called, he goes, look, I'll, I'll make the arrangements. I'll call you back, man. I'll take care of this. And so he calls me back like an hour later and he goes, yep, it's all done. We pick up the tickets that we'll call. Um, uh, and here's what they said to do. You want to uh, hydrate. You want to bring snacks. Be prepared to spend a lot of time in the room. And boy, was that an understatement. Um, <laughs> <No> <laughs> right? Um, and then bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. And I said, Dan, how much do the tickets cost? He's like seven hundred dollars. I go, like, oh, no worries, bro. I'll play full out. Um, and then, just as he's getting off the phone, he goes, Oh, by the way, we're going to be doing a fire walk. And it was almost like it slowed down, right? Fire walk, right? And I was, and I remember thinking, Oh, hell no, we are not doing that. I want to see Tony, but I'm not going to do that. And I'm sure you don't have to. Right. That's, that's for the crazies I'm not going to, you know, we we don't worry about it, but I didn't say anything to Dan. Right. I just said, Oh yeah, sure. Sounds interesting. Right. Right. Well, if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar, for God's sakes, you know, tone, tone took the stage at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, the day of the event. And the next thing I know, it's after midnight. Oh yeah. Right. So he takes you out into that big parking lot and, you know, I'm with 3000 people, got a big, beautiful fire burning over here in the corner. And, uh, you know, when he's when he takes you out there, he goes, oh, by the way, take off your shoes. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not doing this. (laughs) Right. But what am I going to do about this shoe thing here? Right. Because if I don't take off my shoes, other people are going to see me with my shoes and they're going to think I'm, you know, wussing out and that, you know, and we can't have that. (laughs) <laughs> right. So I'll just take my shoes off and fake it. Uh, fake it till you make it, as they say. Right. So uh-huh. um, uh, and then, of course, when you got you going out there, what's he got you doing? Chanting. Everybody's going. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're walking out there and then you get out there. There's African drums to add right. to the ambiance. Right. Big, giant fire, moonlit night, summer, beautiful. Dun, 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 dun. And you know, and I'm like, so what? What's my strategy? Well, my strategy, I'm going to hide out in the back, <laughs> which is not a good strategy uh, because Tony's people know where all the cowards are in the back, in the back, <laughs> and they're and they're really well trained. And sure enough, this guy out of nowhere could have been you, John, for all I know. uh, uh, You know, this guy comes up to me and he locks eyes with me. And I guess that must be the deal. Once you lock eyes with the person, don't take your eyes off him. Right. And this guy comes up and he gets probably, I don't know, maybe 20 feet from me. And he kind of stops and looks at me. He goes, are you (laughs) OK? And I'm like, you know, and you're not OK. What are you going to say? I'm fine. Right. Which is total (laughs) BS. Right, right. And, And then he asked me know, as soon as I said, I'm fine, he goes, well, are you going to walk tonight? And I said, absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> and he's like, you know, kind of taken back, right? Well, and, what we, as they say, that was pretty congruent of you. Yeah, right. right, <laughs> right nope, I ain't doing that shit. Uh-uh, not tonight, pal. And he said, oh, he goes, well, hey, well, that's no problem. He said, you know, we don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I went, oh, okay, I like this guy. He's my ticket the hell out of here. <laughs> And all of a sudden, he asked me a question. Stranger, don't know who it is to this day. I don't know who the, who this guy was. I never found out. Right. But he asked me, he said, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I would. I, I'd love to watch these idiots burn their feet. <laughs> well, I'm standing at the back. I have 3,000 people in front of me. I can't see anything. You know, I can see the fire over here, this big bonfire they got building, right? Right. So what they do is they build that fire, then they take wheelbarrows and they would go and they'd fill those wheelbarrows up with coals. And then they bring in in a wheelbarrow and they set up two lanes, about three feet wide, about 15 to 16 feet long. They put that wheelbarrow in the middle and then they just take a shovel and they'd shovel those coals onto those, under those uh, lanes of sod of grass but I can't see any of that. I don't know that because I got a sea of people in front of me. Well, I, I so he says, well, you know, if you, if you want to see anything, you can you can't see anything from back here. You're going to have to get in line. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, which was true. He was congruent with what he said because yeah, I couldn't see anything. Cause not. I'm a hundred yards away from the actual action. And so I get in line I'm just kind of walking along and all of a sudden I look and I go, and I can see at an angle. I can't see in front of me, but I can see at an angle through the people, and they and they were doing it, John. They're firewalking.
0: Right. And right. so my
1: brain's going, "What's going on? You have no references for this. Right. I, how, how do you make heads or tail? What's going on? What the hell is happening?" And you know, I'm just kind of looking, and I'm in this trance. And the next thing I know, this guy comes up and he whispers in my ear, and he said, "He knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go." And I thought, "Dude, you didn't get the memo." Uh, you you know where you can go get away from me i'm not doing this right so next thing i know i'm in the trance and i'm watching and i'm kind of and boom there i am and i'm and i'm and i'm i'm at the front of the line and i'm staring at this lane uh, of grass and the coals are laid out there they're glowing bright red the wheelbarrow's there you could feel the heat coming off and i am staring into the abyss, and my heart is pounded I am scared shitless. I'm out of my mind. Right. And there's a there's a trainer standing there, and all of a sudden he goes, he kind of screams at me, right? He goes, eyes up, and I'm like, oh crap. And I bring my eyes up, and now I'm looking up. And of course I was in a, I'm a slow learner because I was in a room with Tony for ten hours, and he tells <laughs> you when you get out there, keep your eyes up.
0: <laughs> sure,
1: sure. Right? Um, and then all of a sudden he said, squeeze your fist and say yes, and I went yes. And he went stronger and i went yes and then he got in my face and screamed at me and kind of ticked me off and he (laughs) said stronger and so i threw my arms in the air and i went yes and he goes go 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 i took off next thing you know right and no plans to do this no not doing it no uh uh no boom next thing i know i'm on the back end of the fire lane and the celebration end, and tony's got two guys that are standing down there and they stop you and they said, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. And so I'm, I'm wiping my feet and I'm kind of celebrating and a girl grabs me and gets me out of the way. and She's like going, you did it. You did it. You did it. Moving me out of the way. And all of a sudden I'm going, I did it. I did it. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. And I looked back and the coals are bright red. And all of a sudden it dawns on me. I can feel I burnt my feet really bad. Right. I lift up my foot and I look at my foot. And I go, it's not burnt. It's huh. dirty. It's dirty, but it's not burnt. Oh, it's right. my other foot. Uh, it's dirty, but it's not burnt. I've got no burns I just walked on coals that were 1,000 degrees and I didn't burn myself. And so the question I asked myself was, how the hell did you do that? I don't know how I did it. Right. You know, you do something. Sometimes, you know how you did it. You know, like if you hit right. a home run, you practiced. Right. Well, right, right. Th- this I didn't have any references, nothing. And so I literally started asking people, did you burn your feet? Did you burn your feet? No, 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 no. Well, the exhilaration I felt that night was unsurpassed. I mean, it was just incredible how incredible I felt like I had climbed Mount Everest or something. Right. But here's where it got interesting for me, John, the next day. The next day I came in and I'm with 3000 other people. I'd never seen the human connection like I saw that morning of all these people. Uh, I played I played sports. And so I was familiar with the, the camaraderie of that. But that was nothing like this. People, John, people were laughing and they were hugging and they were crying and they were telling each other stories. And they were, again, the humanistic side of bringing people together was unlike anything I'd ever seen or witnessed. Right. And I'm like, was that because of the firewalk last night? Is that what's doing this? And it was. It was, right. it was simply that. So the bottom line is I got so intrigued with the firewalk portion uh, that I found out that Tony uses a lot of volunteers. And again, this was in 1995. And um, I was given some information how I could get involved if I wanted to. I could fill out some paperwork and they would they would bring me in as a volunteer. And I did that. And then uh, very early on, I had a I had a security background, military background. And they brought me in to help with some security. And almost simultaneously, they put me on the fire team, which is I learned, started learning the logistics and how to set it up and what was going on behind the scenes. Right. So it's like you, you you know, here you are a movie uh, producer, you know, you you know what goes on behind the scenes, right? Uh, 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 Where most people have no clue about any of that. They just go in the movie theater and watch the movie and they have no idea all the work and just what it takes, you know, to put on a a, a good movie and produce a good movie. So um, there I was, I was in the back of the house now. And the next thing I know, that was in like 96, 97 goes along. They hire me as a subcontractor. And then, yes. And then 2003, Tony pulled me aside. And we were at uh, Date with Destiny uh, in the Bahamas at the Atlantis Hotel. And uh, I got my phone ring in my room. And I got called to into you know the, the office there that we had. And Tony basically said, Albie, I'd like you to take over my, all of my firewalks globally. And I originally resisted it. I was like, "Well, Tony, I can't," and Tony's like, "You can't or you won't." And I'm like, "I can't." Tony Robbins doesn't like the word "no," <laughs> right? And so I said, "Well, I can't." And so it had to do with me homeschooling my kids. It had a lot, a lot to do with a lot of things. And so he stepped right up and he said, "Well, what if I pay to have your kids travel with me? Would that make a difference?" And I'm like, "Well, it sure could." So I literally called home and and talked to the family. And my son at the time was like eight. And uh, he's like, uh, where's our first event, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> and literally, our, our first event was in Sydney, Australia. Nice. It was nice. And so Tony, and he treated my kids and my family like gold. Um, and, and so that was in 2003. And in 2005, yeah, we, we set, you know, Guinness Book wasn't there, but we set a world record. We do know that it was the largest firewalk that had ever been done in London. And uh, you know, there were 12,300 people. Uh, and we did that firewalk in just about an hour, if you can believe that. Wow. Um, and then, well, yeah. And then I'm driving going, down the road. What's that?
0: Back on, you know, um, you know, it, it's crazy. Like you're saying, you know, you doing it the first time and how you did it. And for me, it was even crazy. If you can imagine, cause the one I went to my first experience, kind of similar to yours, but he did it on 34th street on the sidewalk in Manhattan on a Friday night, which was freaking insanity. Right. I mean, cabs beeping their horn, drunks falling by. I mean, we're all out in front of this um, building and we're walking on hot coals on a Friday night in Manhattan. And, And once again, you know, for me, it was like, this is insanity, man. You know, it's like I never expected to want to do something like that, just like you, or think that I would do it. And, but, when you get to the when you get to the other side like you did, realize I realized that I, at the time I was working in the post office midnight shift and I had to go back and I thought it'd be over by midnight. Of course, it wasn't over by midnight. It was over by three and three in the morning or something. So I'm late for work. You know, I I'm, 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 got it. But anyway, I you know, we finished the fire. I get back to the post office. and I've been there working for five years as a mail handler and the midnight shift. I walk in and it's almost like there was a different glow in the air. Yeah. And my brain just went, you're out of here. You're over this. Your life needs to go in a new direction. Yeah. And that's when I made a decision to quit the post office and go for my dreams. And that night, like you, it changed my life in a different path, but it changed my life forever. And it was yeah. one of those most amazing things. But, you know, it's it's like you're saying, you overcame the fear. And that's what we're always talking about is how do you what does that mean when you do it? Cause too many people don't are not willing to go through the fear to get to the other side. And, and the metaphor for fire walk is you, you, you go through the fear to get to the other side and you might get burned. You might not get burned, but you're not going to get to the other side unless you have the courage to go through the fear and get to the other side. And that's what you did.
1: Yeah. Spot on. Perfectly said. Um, and again, uh, the, the other side, again, was that next day and watching the human connection with people. And so I knew that I'd gone through a very, very powerful experience. And, and then I just proved myself, you know, once I got, once I got involved with Robbins and, and, you know, took over the firewalks and, and um, you know, it was just like one thing after another, after another, I started meeting a lot of celebrities and, you know, I got involved with that. I got to meet some really, really cool and awesome uh, people there. And um, and then 2014, I'm driving down the road. Boom. My phone rings and it's Google. And, you know, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, what, what who, who, who? Who? How who does that happen to? I mean, you know, you just don't drive down the road and Google call you. Right. Of course, right. So they just wanted to know if I was the Dave Albin that had done the firewalks for Robbins and uh, they wanted to talk to me about possibly hiring me. And they wanted to know if I was under any contractual obligation or non-compete. And I'm like, no, homeboy's a free agent. So what's up? What do you guys want to do? And uh, the next thing I know, I'm in Mountain View uh, with Google. In fact, when I was there, I had two of the executives that we were doing the gig for. There was 148 of them. They pulled me aside, a man and a woman. And they said, you don't know what you've got, do you? I mean, literally. And uh, I'm like, no, but I think I'm about to find out. And they basically said, the marketplace for this is huge. It's off the chain. Um, and, and, I, and I'm like, well, how do you guys know? What do you Google or something? You know, I mean, it was like a, so that was phenomenal. And that's when and then I went back to Tony and said, Tony, I love you. But, you know, um, it's time for me to go. And that was, you know, I, I was coming up on 20 years. And then the next thing I know, right, I'm at NASA with you. Next, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Yeah, Microsoft. I'm going
0: to throw, throw up some pictures. If yeah, uh, so this is one. This was the, us down in um, down in NASA having a blast down there. Um, this oh is my a, gosh, I want that picture. I don't have it. And, there, and there's Joe. I'll send that to you, man. That we we had a NASA was just amazing. It was such a great experience. And then I, and I think we did we do did you take us on the glass walk down in NASA because this is a picture of you walking me across yeah it was NASA yeah and that's that's a picture of you walking me across the glass that was the first time I actually glass walked um, with you and so that was a very unique experience compared to fire walking um, and you know
1: what's interesting in that picture the one before um, is you, yeah there's the guy in the smile in the back that's Joe Kornowski and Joe. Joe was uh, NASA's, um, uh, he was the, a space uh, center engineer. So his job every day was to go to NASA and sit there with all those computer screens and and take care of the, uh, the space center, which is really interesting. And then if you go to the next um, uh, slide that you showed after this one, that's him down there in the corner because I recruited him to help me. Right. He's the, that, he's the guy that wipes off your feet before you step off the glass. Wow. That's yeah. so cool,
0: and then here is us, of course, up in on um, Notre Dame.
1: Oh my gosh! And then Jim Connolly, the Jim Connolly, another Connelly.
0: amazing, powerful individual.
1: Well, I mean, Jim Connolly is the guy that uh, if you watch the movie Pretty Woman, right, uh, and if you the hotel scene of the of the hotel manager, right, that was Jimmy. That was Jimmy's job. Right. Um, which is really interesting because he's he's the one like you. He left he left the projects and, you know, went after his dream. He was in Philadelphia. He he couldn't read. He couldn't write. Couldn't do anything. Goes out to Hollywood. Next thing you know, he's knocking on the door of the Beverly Wilshire Hotel wanting to get a job.
0: And he ends up getting a job. Right.
1: And and and, and then running,
0: up- running the hotel and working with Frank Sinatra and uh, living this amazing powerful life right right
1: yeah, yeah. He, he told the story about sinatra his first day on the job sinatra walks in and says hey who's the new kid And they said well that's jimmy and he says well how come he's not he won't smile and he goes he goes well i don't know next thing you know sinatra goes over to him and said hi you know goes to shake his hand and says you know my name's frank sinatra and jimmy's like yeah i know who you are <laughs> remember i think he said hey and i want you to smile and he goes sir i'd rather not he goes show me show me your smile well right. jimmy's Jimmy's teeth were all screwed up and that's where Frank Sinatra gave him his business card to go to his dentist and Sinatra paid to have his teeth fixed.
0: That's right. I remember right? sharing that story. Power, powerful story. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm going to take you back a little bit cause you know, at um, Notre Dame, when you gave your speech, it was, I remember it was very powerful cause you know, you took us through, and I think it really moved people. You took us through the darkness that you were in. And I don't know if you want to share that with the audience, but when you, before you turned your life around with AA and before you did that, you went through some, uh, a real dark period with, um, drugs and alcohol and, you know, coming close to suicide. And you shared that and that, when you shared the transformation you made, I think it really touched everybody so much because, uh, it was such a powerful story of your life and how you changed. So I don't know if you want to die. Yeah, no,
1: I'm, 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 I'm very good with that. You know, uh, after I shared that story there, Jim Connolly ran up. If you remember, he ran up on stage and hugged me. Yes. Uh, because his father was a really, really bad um, alcoholic. And he just was so, you know, it was just inspiring to him to see somebody that actually had found their way out. Um, yeah. So, you know, what happened was, is that um, I was adopted when I was five. And um, there was a lot of alcoholism in my family. And, um, I'll never forget. Um, uh, I, I was, it was in 1963. Um, uh, I was sitting in class one day and the next thing I know, uh, the, the, the principal walks into the door of, of my classroom, walks up to my teacher and he bends down and he whispers something and she screamed. I, she bellowed. It was just unbelievable. It was just a, a gut-wrenching scream. And now he's trying to calm her down. Well, the next thing we know, he turns to the class and he said, boys and girls, I've got, a, I've got some really bad uh, uh, news. Uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, President John F. Kennedy was just killed and assassinated in, in Dallas, Texas. And we're calling your parents. Everybody's going to go home and we don't know when you'll come back. Uh, and so that started that. Well, you know, we went home and like everyone else, you know, we started watching it. Well, my dad. Was uh, he had worked in the Pentagon? He was an officer in the military, as you said in your opening, and so he was a ballistics ex- expert. So when they they started saying that Kennedy was shot from behind uh, by one gun by one gunman, my dad said, "No," because we were watching the motorcade go by, and there's this one scene, and all of a sudden Kennedy's head goes back like this, right? right? And and so my dad goes, "No, uh-uh, he was shot from the front." I know hmm. for a fact, right? So that were, I was exposed to my first uh, conspiracy theory. Theory. Well, that was in uh, November of '63. Well, in the summer of '64, it's the first day of summer, and my and I'm in the TV room. It's summer, man. It's Southern California. You're a kid. You're in, going in the fourth grade, man. You know what that's like, right? Well, my mom comes in, and I'm in the TV room watching TV, eating cereal, and she says, "David, come in the kitchen. Your father and I need to speak with you." She brings me in, sets me down, puts her hand on my hand, and with tears in her eyes, she turns to me and she says, David, we need to tell you something, and that is, we're not your parents. Wow. Well, that, was, that took me back, right? Wow. And, and then, uh, and, and he goes, and as a matter of fact, you know your Aunt Dean? Yeah, well, that's your biological mother. And I remember wow. thinking, I don't even like her, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, it was like, you know, because she, she was always touching me. Right. Hmm, I wonder why. Huh. so and you know at this point too i want to say you know i want to say happy mother's day to all the moms out there i had two moms i had my mom my biological mother and i had the mother that raised me and did the best she could and uh you know thank god for both of them and i'm very grateful mm-hmm. to all the mothers out there because try to come into this world without them <laughs>
0: yeah no kidding right well, i was um, raised by uh, my mother was widowed when my dad died at four so she raised me and my brother so yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, uh, exactly. you can't even right. You can't even imagine. Yeah.
1: Um, so that was that was uh, the summer of '64. Well, later that year, we had to go into Hollywood to my grandmother's house. And you know, mom says, "Come on, you know, get ready. We're get, we're going into Hollywood for the weekend to your grandmother's house." And uh, the next thing I know, my cousin comes out to us. You have to go with us tonight. And she's like pissed off at me, right? And she's <laughs> she's like seven years older than I am. And the next thing I know, you know, we're on a bus and we're going into Hollywood and we're walking into the Hollywood Bowl and, uh, you know, to watch the Beatles. Wow. (laughs) So, um, and which was really interesting in and of itself because I saw them, but I couldn't hear them. Hmm. Because every time they would start a song, the girls would scream so loud, right? You couldn't even hear them. Um, And shortly after they told me that I was adopted. My dad started drinking again. He had swore off liquor uh, for five years um, um, uh, when he had, you know, uh, um, uh, told me that I was, you know, adopted. And, you know, again, a long story short um, I um, uh, was shortly after that, that at a young age that I tried um, uh, alcohol for the first time. So I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And you know what? When I when I tried that alcohol for the first time, it, it was like rocket fuel. I mean, I'm a little kid, and I remember drinking. It tasted horrible, but it felt unbelievable. And I was doomed I, 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 from the very start, man. I mean, I, I was already thinking about drinking more at a very young age. And, of course, you know, the alcohol led to drugs and, you know, hard drugs and heroin and cocaine and orbituates, and speed and all of that. And then in June, on June 8th, man, of 1988, I woke up that morning having, having, you know, done intervedious drugs and, you know, name it. Um, and it was, I was, the, I was in, it, it, it was going to stop that day. Why? Because I was in so much physical and emotional pain. You know, you get to a point, you keep pushing that envelope with drugs and alcohol. And it, it, here's what it does. It says, you're done. You know, it's because it's so painful. You know, right. alcohol the physical pain was in so intense. Mm. And so all I knew was that morning it was going to stop, John. That was it. We're done. I'm out. And I took a pistol, put it in my mouth, did it twice. And um, in fact, I talked to some psychologists and some psychiatrists about that moment. And they said, typically, when you, once you get to that point, you've got so much physical pain, you don't, you don't not pull that trigger. Because I wasn't afraid to die. Right. What I was was what I was afraid to do was to keep living. That sure. was that was that was terrifying to keep living that way. And the next thing I know, I don't even know I didn't even know anything about them. And the next thing I know, I made a phone call to Alcoholics Anonymous. They sent a man to come pick me up, and wow. they took me. I went to three meetings that day. I went to a noon, a four thirty, a six thirty, and an eight thirty. Excuse me, I went to four meetings that day. And I don't know, man, it stuck. I I was at an all men's group, and those guys grabbed me and they held on to me. And one of them called me the next morning and said, hey, uh, I'm going to come pick you up. I'm going to I'm going to take you to a, another meeting today. And so that's the kind of love and support that I got. And and then I wasn't very long in the program. A couple of weeks where one of the old timers. Well, he had six years. He basically said, hey, what are you doing right now? I go, I go nothing. He goes, come with me. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm at somebody's house and we're doing a 12 step call who had called in and wanted help. So just like when I called in, they sent somebody they, we, they, I went with this guy and we went over there and I remember sitting at his, at his kitchen table. We had a pistol sitting on the table. Well, man, I could relate to that. I, I, I really had a pretty good inkling how that guy felt. And I remember we got him to a meeting and he didn't kill himself. And I remember thinking, man, what an experience, mm. what a sense of responsibility, you know, cause it's not, you know, it's interesting because, as AA set up, you know, psychology, psychiatry, doctors, all these people, clergy, you know, you think of all these people that are more qualified to help another alcoholic. Uh-uh. Another alcoholic helps another alcoholic because we've been there. We know what it feels like. And, and, it's, and it's just phenomenal how that works. In fact, the founders of AA, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, um, Bill Wilson was a stockbroker. And uh, Bill Wilson was a um, a proctologist, <laughs> wow. right? We jokingly say he was used to dealing with assholes, <laughs> and, right? So, uh, you know, they got together. And um, in fact, when 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 the nurse called Bill Wilson to come be with Doctor Bob, when Wilson walked in and introduced himself, Doctor Bob was pissed off. He said, like, you're a stockbroker? What are you doing here? You're, you're not in the medical field. You're not a psychologist. You're not a psychiatrist. Who the hell? How dare you come in here and think you can help me? Huh. And, and Bill Wilson said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. So good luck. And he went to walk out. And Dr. Bob said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Maybe I've rushed it, you know, maybe you should come back tomorrow. And so that's how AA got started. And so that that hit me right between the eyes. And so I just I just fell in love with helping other alcoholics achieve sobriety because you know for that John I'm responsible. My whole life was given back to me. Right. Um, In fact, something happened here um, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, My son lives in Boone. Uh, I'm in the I'm in the western part of the state, which is in Ashe County, and about 20 minutes away. My son and his girlfriend live. Uh, he's going to App State, and there's a there's a bar over there that has really good wings. And Davey was telling me he's going. He goes, "Come with us, spot So I go over there to this bar, and I go in, and and uh, I order order the same thing. I order cranberry half cranberry half soda with a lime, and it's really good. And so we order some food, and then and as Davey was ordering, he he turns to the bartender and says, "Oh oh, I know because." what do you want vodka in what I ordered? And Davy speaks up, he goes, oh no, my dad's a quitter. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so she's kind of like, Ooh, what's that mean? Right. And so he goes to tell the story. He says, yeah, my dad wasn't a quitter. I wouldn't be here. Huh. You know, he's sober and he's been sober for 33 years. And he's telling a story. Well, the bar's listening to it. And there's huh. a guy sitting right next to my son who's listening to this, this conversation. Well, the next thing I know, we get our food. I'm drinking my drink. And this guy gets up, comes, and I'm sitting, the bar's like L-shaped. And I'm sitting down here at the l shape. And all of a sudden, he comes around, he comes behind me. And he comes up and he goes, you're a king. And I'm like, what? He goes, you're like a king. And I go, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't understand. And he goes, "For you've been sober for 33 years? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, kind of put his head down and he looked back up and he goes, my dad was a really bad alcoholic.
0: Hmm.
1: And I said, so was mine. And I said, tell me more. And so he went into a story. He started telling me that his dad, ever since he was young, was a brutal alcoholic. And 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 the son, this young man who's talking to me, was his caregiver, if you will. Every time shit hit the fan, he had to go take care of it. He had to go drag him out of bars. He had to go pick him up on street corners. He had to get him out of jail. He had to go to court. All this cycle on and on and on and on and on. Well, apparently one night, this kid had had enough. And they were talking and they got into this horrible argument. And they both started saying stuff that they they didn't mean, but they were just angry and frustrated. And this kid said a lot of stuff to his dad. And he left, he slammed the door, and he walked out. Well, the next day, his father died. Mm. And so now all these unspoken things come into play and the guilt and all of that, right? And so this kid is just devastated. And I said, well, I said, you know, if your father had found AA like I did, his life would have been completely different. And here's what I believe. I believe that if you took the alcohol out of his life, he would have been a completely different human being. He would have treated you considerably different. And, you know, and here's what I believe. And that is, had he got sober like I did, I think there's a couple things that he would probably want to say to you. And the kid's just, like, looking at me, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, there would be a couple things. One, I'm sorry, and I hope you can forgive me. And this kid teared up. He gave me a big hug, and and he... and he left
0: the bar. Wow! Oops, I lost, just lost your volume. It's just you win. There we go. Yeah. So he walked. He gave you a hug, and he walked left the bar, and then you. Yeah, win. he
1: left. He left the bar, and you know it. It was and 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 a couple of my but my son's friends were sitting at the bar. They had showed up to come hang with us, and they were just sitting there in awe. And, and so, you know, you just don't know, you don't know where you're going to be, what's happening, who you're going to. And that's why when I get on stage and I talk and I share that is because I don't know who's sitting out there. I don't know who's going to benefit from that story. Maybe there's somebody that's got a problem with alcohol, right? Maybe, maybe it's the, the, the son or the daughter or, or, or the spouse or, or whatever. And so that's why I go out there and I tell people, look, I'm not proud of this, but I am I am here to support you might you want to talk. And typically, without fail, somebody always comes up to me and wants to talk. So, you know, AA's taught me many, many great lessons. And one of them, John, is real simple. Uh, that when anyone anywhere uh, reaches out for help, we want the hand of AA to always be there. And for that, I'm responsible. So that is really you know, my, my, my commitment to all that. um, And
0: then you do, you know, obviously that is your commitment. And then all the other um, stuff you've done both with Tony and with yourself, you know, transforming people through fireworks and glass walks. Once again, besides you sharing that powerful story, like I said, I was uh, honored to hear that story when you when you gave it at Notre Dame, and when Jim came up and hugged you. I mean, yeah. I, he hugged you for all of us. You know, at that moment, I think we all felt the same way. It was so powerful. But you know, you've you've been involved in seeing people transform, besides you transforming. What what are some maybe stories or people you've seen that kind of just touch you the most that you saw that transformation, whether it was for your story or through the fire walk or glass walk or whatever.
1: Well, what, you know, one, one of the guys was in AA. Um, he, uh, this kid came in and um, he uh, was resisting. He had gone through the the revolving door several times. And then one day he came in and I was leading the meeting and um, uh, he, you know, he wanted to interrupt the meeting and I won't let him, you know, it's like, no, Take the cotton out of your, out of your ears and stick it in your mouth and calm down, dude. Uh, that's not how the format works. Well, he, he got really ticked off because he said, you know, I'm he was crying and caring. I go, well, you just hit the lottery, pal. So, you know, relax. And so he came up and wanted to scream at me and yell at me. And, and he was pretty pissed off at me. Well, he ended up asking me to be a sponsor. And, and, uh, which was a really interesting thing because shortly thereafter uh, he went into liver failure. Mm -hmm. Well, he went to Jordan and this is in Northern Virginia, by the way, we were, uh, our group was uh, right outside of Washington, DC. So it was an all men's group. It was a private group, closed meeting. And uh, so we got a lot of people from Washington. Uh, We got, let's say, we got some Redskins, we got some FBI agents, secret service, you name it. They, some of them showed up at this meeting. And so Mark uh, was an extraordinary young man. Well, now he needs a liver transplant. Well, he goes on the list at Washington uh, Hospital, and he gets on the list. And um, the next thing you know, um, I he he got his he got his transplant. In fact, he got he he was on the same list as uh, Walter Payton, wow. and he got a liver, and Walter Payton didn't. Mm. And of course, Walter went on to to, to pass uh, of liver disease. Now, Walter didn't drink, but he still had liver disease. Whatever we, you know, whatever happened with that. So, Mark, Mark was internally internal, grateful. I was literally, um, uh, and when and, and when he was talking with his doctor with his with his uh, transplant team, this was back before they had, had done these transplants. Mark was one of the very first humans on earth to get a liver transplant. And I remember him asking Dr. Rusky, who was at a Washington hospital, how much time do I have doc? And he said, well, you know, I I think I could probably get you 18 months or so. And he goes, that's not good enough. (laughs) He goes, I need two years because I want to see both of my sons graduate from high school. And sure enough, Mark lived about two years and saw both of his sons to graduate. I was I was literally uh, at a Robbins event in New York and we got the I I went in a week early to hang out with the family and I got the call that Mark had passed and I flew home and I delivered the eulogy at his funeral. Um, So that that was one of the most, you know, memorable guys. I mean, you know, they're all important. They're all great. But there was something about Mark. Um, that was really special. And, you know, I went through that whole process of him getting the liver and, you know, that, um, you know, as far as the fire walks and stuff, I think probably one of the most memorable is we were in Tampa, Florida. And, um, uh, I don't know what's going on. We're just, you know, the fire walks start, everything's going, we're out there. I'm standing at the wheelbarrow. I got my shovel. Tony's uh, running his lane, Joseph McClendon, his lead trainers at the other lane coming the other way. And all of a sudden, Tony kind of stops and he looks, he looks at me and he gives me this really bizarre look like, I think we're going to see some serious shit here in a minute. And the next thing I know, I didn't see it because it's kind of dark out there. Next thing you know, there's this young man in a wheelchair. And uh, come to find out, this, was, this young man was a collegiate athlete down in Tampa. And he was hit by a drunk driver and he lost both legs. And so apparently he was contemplating suicide. Well, one of his buddies pulled him aside one night and said, look, we can't stop you if you're going to commit suicide. But Tony Robbins is coming to town. And I know you studied Tony. Why don't you go see his event before you, you know, make this final decision to kill yourself? And so he did. Well, this kid was a collegiate athlete, man. He had a lot of upper body. He was a wrestler, played football, baseball. You know, he was just, he he had, you know, he, he had upper body strength. And the next thing I know, this kid moves his wheelchair, right? And the next thing I know, Tony went down and the kid like goes, you know, go, go, get away, Tony. And the next thing you know, this kid went into a handstand. He, he leaped forward out of that wheelchair, went into a handstand and walked across the, the fire on his hands. <clears throat> that was a really, really definitive moment. Tony and I teared up. We were both like completely blown away. And and though that was such a memorable moment for me, but you know what, it is for everybody. Uh, yeah, it was extraordinary because this kid was able to do it on his hands. But you know, I've seen people that were a hundred years old. You know, my 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 kids walked. You know, my daughter who's in the other room right now, she was six years old when she firewalked the first time. My my son was was nine years old. Uh, we were in New York. We were in New Jersey, and. And and we wait, you know, Tony knew my kids were going to walk. And at the very end, um, uh, you know, the kids came up and, and and Tony grabbed my daughter's hand. I had I had one hand. He had the other hand. And we walked her across the fire. Um, my son stepped up and Tony looked down at him and he goes, I love you and I love your daddy. Now go. <laughs> and my you know, my son took off.
0: Well, you know, here's a fun story you'll love because, you know, like yourself, I, I don't know how many times you've done it, probably way, way, way more than me. But, you know, I had done it, I don't know, eight times, uh, you know, at different events and, and done it. And then the, the one time I think was in Washington, D.C., I was on Tony's line. The only time I was on his line. Right. So he's in front and you know how intense he is. Right. And he's like, he looks at me, you know, and he, he doesn't even give me a second. He's like, you're ready. Go. And so I'm like, okay I start walking. And every step of the way, I burned. Every step of the way, right? And I get to the end and I get off and, you know, we celebrate and everything. But, you know, it it was kind of funny because up until that point, I didn't believe it was real. It was like, eh, you know, I don't get burned, it ain't real, you know, can't be real. But at that point, I said, okay, this is real. But the metaphor that I took away, and of course, that he shared with us, but was that, you know, and sometimes in life, you get burned. But that shouldn't stop you from going forward. That just means you still got to go forward. You you know, it's not like life's going to, you you go through and it's always going to be easy. It, it's challenging. It's hard. Sometimes you get burnt. And that's okay, too, as long as you keep moving forward. So, I, you know, I went on to do it multiple times after that. And it wasn't like, it was in a way I was kind of glad I got burnt because it just told me, okay, this is real. And, and when I do it, I had a, di- a different appreciation for it. So, you know, it's a pretty... Pretty interesting experience for those who've never experienced it. But I think it has changed a lot of people's lives for sure. Oh, oh, no, no question about
1: it. Uh, No question. I remember hearing the story about this young man that uh, was thought he could be a screenwriter. And his family went, you're never going to become a screenwriter. It's Not going to happen. You're not going to pierce Hollywood. It just ain't going to happen. Stop living in this this dream world. Well, he goes to a Tony Robbins seminar and boom, guess what? He does his firewalks. He goes to the event. He goes home. And guess what? He wrote Sleepless in Seattle.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot all about that. That's right. Right.
1: right? So, you you know, you never know. Uh, you, you you, just don't know what's 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 going to happen. And, Absolutely. and so and, for, and from my perspective now, you know, I, I get to continue to do this. Uh, my kids have been a huge help to me. Uh, my daughter for a long time traveled with me. We brought my grandson. She took a lot of pictures and videos and things. Was able to help me, and uh, and you know now she's got a, a a wonderful life with a with a wonderful young man and a and a, and, a, and, a, and my grandson's going to be five in about a week, and uh, you Congrats. know she has got a really great job. She's a vet tech and she does you know she takes care of animals, which has been her dream. It's her passion. She's loved. She loves animals. Uh, my son goes to app state. He's going to graduate, uh, this next semester with his uh, bachelor's degree in computer uh, science and engineering. And, uh, he's met the girl of, of his dream. So, you know, the kids are, and so dad's an empty nester now and, and, uh, you know, and he, but, you know, he's found the people out there to help and step in. And, uh, you know, it's,
0: it's, it's just, you know, I, I pinch myself, John. It's like, what? Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing we've kind of gone on similar, um, Tracks in a way. You know, I'm gonna show some pictures of you, but both of us have have kind of transformed ourselves physically, and obviously that's a big picture. So I'm gonna show a picture to the audience of, of you right here. Um that's oh, one of the geez. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, ah! Ah, exactly, but you know, that's part, you know, besides the all the other transformations, a physical transformation is something that you did as well. And like I said, we've kind of gone on similar tracks as part of I work out now seven days a week, and I'm like, oh, I, that's my my addiction. I love it. it. It's the greatest thing in life to do. And uh, matter of fact, after this is over, I'm going to run to the gym in the hotel and go work out. But, um, you know, you can see in your transformation in that picture, you've changed a lot. And you took, once again, you took action, and you took positive action, diet, health, and everything, and you changed your life physically as well. Yeah. In fact, where I had that epiphany, I was at Google. I was on stage. Really? <clears throat> Yeah,
1: and I look down, right, and I can't see my shoes. (laughs) I'm like, wow, okay, uh, that's got to change. And, you know, and it was my grandson because I knew knew that he was on the way, right? And so I'm like, so do you want to spend time with him? I'm asking myself these questions. I'm like, you want to change your life? Ask hard questions. Um, And, like, do you want to see him? Do you want to spend time with him? Do you want to go to his wedding? Do you want to see him graduate from high school? Then you better get your shit together, and you better start doing something about your life. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, John. I heard somebody say something the other day. I really liked it. <clears throat> and it, they said, <clears throat> every human, every man and woman has two lives. And the second one starts when we realize we have only one. Mm. And so, you know, we, we, get, we get caught up in all this idea, uh, 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 you know, that we got to make a living rather than designing our lives. Um, yeah, and there it is, man, because it's it. It, it's it. it what doesn't challenge you, doesn't change you. Um, And, you know, uh, I'm in a really cool position right now because, you know, coming out of COVID, everybody's all separated, right? You know, mask wearing versus not wearing, vaccine versus not vaccine, political, you know, the liberals against the conservatives. And, you know, I love Donald Trump. No, I hate Donald Trump. No, I love Joe Biden. No, I hate Joe. So the division that's going on right now and the disruption is in every company. And if CEOs and entrepreneurs don't fix it. It's going to cost them a fortune. How do you fix it? Put them on the fire. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll close down. One of the things that I do with the fire now is that I, I I do what's called the heart connection. And it's through the Ho'oponopono prayer, which is an ancient Hawaiian healing process. Um, um, and so what we, well, what, what I learned is a couple of years ago, I think in 2013, National Geographic did a, went to a firewalk in Portugal. And they got permission to put heart monitors on all the people that were attending and all the walk- walkers. And they found as soon as the, the firewalk started, that everybody's heart calibrated, started beating at the same time. Hmm. So I've learned how to do that at the firewalk. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm telling CEOs, look, man, give me your people. It's going to be OK. Let me get them back to the humanistic side. Uh, we'll break them out of this. Just like when I went to my first firewalk that next day, when I saw everybody connecting, that was the magic, right? That's right. when I said, man, look at this. This is real, man. Does the fire really do that? And you know, if you if you study firewalking culturally, it's been around for thousands of years and it's been used as a rite of passage. The Fahitians, the Hawaiians, the Polynesians, the Native American Indians, the Indo-Europeans, the people of India, all over the world. People have used this powerful experience to 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 you know keep people united and, and to keep the brother and sisterhood between them.
0: That's very cool, man. Um, anything as we come to the end, anything you want to share with the audience, like you said, that prayer or anything else you want to share? Because you've had a life, you, like I said, the reason I did this show, Live Courageously, is to, I think people need to have that message to understand how to, to deal with life. But also, like you said, the, the other side of it is, That experience of bringing us together after that experience, what we have in common, you know, that that's another big, important, powerful thing that, you know, we have, it's hard for people to believe it, but we have a lot more in common than we have differences. And, you know, just reminding them of our humanity, our common humanity is such a powerful thing. So, you know, you said that, you know, from the next day after the firewalk, but I think people need to hear that and remember that, you know, of course, we're always going to have differences. We, we all experience the world differently. That's part of life. Um, but that's not what we have in common and we should focus on the important stuff, which is what we do have in common to, uh, make things better for ourselves, our family, and for the world. Absolutely. So, so I'm going to throw it to you as we wrap this up and and thank you, but keep, you know, give us, share us something that you would like to close out, man. And I'm Thank you for being part of this.
1: Well, first of all, John, thank you so much. I love you to death. You're a real brother, and we've shared some really great times together. and We have so much in common, and I'm honored that you brought me to this this uh, this podcast too. You know, to you know share well. a little bit love of information. Uh, I'll close with this. You know, the chances of being born were are one in about one in four hundred trillion. Um, if you if you look at You know, your mom was over there. Your dad was over there. The only two people on earth that could create you. Your mom went through all these cycles, had all these eggs. uh, uh, There's only one. Uh, Your dad contributed. You know, the group of swimmers, there's only one. uh, And any group, there's 60 to 100 million. And here you are. And if you go back and you look at your ancestry, uh, if you just go back like 400 years, I think it's like 4,800 people you know had to come together for you to be here and typically in every um, uh, Family tree. There's one individual in there that 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 takes the family to another level and, and Brings light and everything and uh, uh, to that family and um, I, I challenge you to be that person uh, uh, You're not here by an accident and uh, you know you're doing that, John. You're doing that for you. You're doing it for your family. I'm doing it. I'm doing it as well. And uh, it's it's a it's a very 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 powerful mindset uh, to take your life and your family and your heritage in a whole new direction. So.
0: Well, definitely. And you know, t- take a look online. Look at um, Firewalk Adventures. Uh, check out Dave Albins' uh, pages um, anything you can do. He's definitely somebody who has transformed lives and continues to transform lives. And I was, you know, I I say, uh, Dave, I've been blessed with so much riches of people in my life, not necessarily financial riches, but the amount of people like yourself that I've connected to in my life just makes me feel so honored and blessed. And you're, you're somebody when we connected at, um, NASA and then went on to connect again at Notre Dame and then oh I gotta I gotta put up this picture because it's one of my favorite pictures of us in in Beverly Hills when we hung out with with the oh god I love that the two guys with the sunglasses you know it's who the hell
1: took that picture
0: <laughs> we, we, we asked a passerby to take it it was just we were hanging out and you were at um, matter of fact you were on the Larry King show doing something and um, we got together and had lunch and then just kind of roamed around Beverly Hills and we took that picture together. But um, yeah, and that picture, and then we took one with me with the sunglasses, which I love too. So that day was very special, man. And, and you're a very special person. So I thank you, man. And, and love you with all my heart. Good stuff. Dave.
1: Thanks brother. I love you. All right. All Until next time, let's all right, next time. Let's, let's stop looking for heroes, people in B1. Take love care, that. Say,
0: say that one more time.
1: Let's stop looking for heroes and B1. Right on. Right on. Take care, right, brother. bro. Love care. you. Thanks. Love you too.
0: Well, that's one more one more show, people of um, live courageously. And this was the the ten show. Um, and obviously, you listen to his life and overcoming overcoming drug addiction, alcoholism, attempted su, getting close to suicide, turning his life around with AA, then turning his life around and becoming you know being afraid of doing a fire walk, doing the fire walk, and then becoming the person who ran the Firewalk for Tony Robbins and now continues to do it with his own company, Firewalk Adventures. So Dave Alvin is a, somebody that I think should inspire you. And no matter what you're facing, these are the people we need to listen to, people that uh, inspire us to be better than we we are, inspire us to 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 overcome fear, to be courageous, to live courageous, and to also contribute to everyone to make uh, our community, our friends, our family, and our world a better place. So thank you for being here uh, with Live Courageously. You can check out the show, like I said, on YouTube. And uh, until then, have a great Mother's Day and spend time with your family. And uh, until I see you next time, God bless.